Hello, this is Nikki Toyamasito, Executive Director of Christians for Social Action, and your host for this episode of 20 Minute Takes. This week, we talk with author, podcast host, and activist Faith Brooks. Her new book, Remember Me Now, A Journey Back to Myself in a Love Letter to Black Women, was sparked by the death of Breonna Taylor and the pondering of the idea, what if we were to celebrate black women in life, not just in death? Join us for this conversation. Faith Brooks, thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Takes. Thank you for having me. Now, your title, the title of your book, Remember Me Now, A Journey Back to Myself and a Love Letter to Black Women, the title just totally captured my imagination. What was the first thing you did when you saw your book live? Oh, my goodness. Well, I think I, when I first saw it, like, in my hands, it Uh was just an amazing moment and I cried. Uh And then when I first saw it in bookstores, it just kind of felt like, it just felt like this unreal moment. I don't know how to explain it, but I think after sitting with the words for so long and sitting with the documents and seeing it, you know, all bundled up together, it was just an amazing feeling. It felt really special. That's wonderful. Did you do anything uh, particularly to, uh, to celebrate or I feel like you're such an embodied presence that... I don't know. Yeah. Did you do anything special to sort of celebrate or, or mark My the time? My husband and I did. We did. We went to go eat at, um, I think it's a place called like McCormick and Schmidt or something uh, like yes. that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and yeah, we we really loved it. We had really great food. We had just gone to Mahogany Books. Um, Mahogany Books. I love it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so we were having a great time there. We met the staff and I signed a few books. And so we just went to go eat and celebrate it. And it was just a lot of fun to do that together. Oh, that's fantastic. That's great. Now, when it, what was the thing that sparked uh, this book for you? I think, you know, there's so many different lines of my story um, and journeys that I talk about throughout this book and what it was like to be a Black woman that was raised in the suburbs and had this very unique experience. Um, and I remember seeing um, Brianna Taylor, what happened to her and um, her unjust um, killing. Mm-hmm. And I saw people's response and it was a lot of remembering her and she was gone already. So I Mm. thought to myself, but what would it be like if a beautiful person like Brianna was remembered now? And what would it look like for people like me to be remembered now while we're here and not just when we're gone and for Mm. us to get our flowers now? And Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um, that was really what brought me to want to write this book. And I had always wanted to find a way to share my story and, and share the stories of Black women. But really seeing what happened to her kind of catapulted me into this place of like, you know what, I need to write about this now because I think our stories are important. Yeah, no, I think that that's that's wonderful. I think particularly in the context of Black History Month, that it's important to think about sort of living history, or in a sense, Black future, like the present stories that are happening now. And it sort of feels like your book is in that vein of how yes. to celebrate people now. Um, I think I, I have often uh, thought about um, there's the tragedy of um, of those who die at the hands of the state, and then 
there is also a, a tragedy in that uh, they are famous for their death. And then, right. and, and I think, you know, be, become names that are known across the country and across the movement, um, but were never known. So I think I appreciate the way that you're sort of pulling this forward, but particularly celebrating uh, life and uh, the fullness of life and the contributions of Black women. Why Black women in particular? Because I feel like Black women's stories are oftentimes overlooked and erased. Black women are usually like in the background coordinating um, movements and bringing about change. And people rely on Black women saying, you know, Black women will help to, you know, whether it's to get out the vote or to do all these different things. People rely on Black women to mm-hmm. bring forth either their agendas or mm-hmm. to, um, you know, maintain and, and cultivate communities. But our needs, our lives, um, the sacredness of all of that, us being a priority, usually is not at the forefront of attention. It's more of what can Black women do for us or Black women are going to save us rather than, hey, like, is this Black woman okay? How Mm. does she feel? Mm. Um, She's spending so much time caring for other people. And have we even thought about what her life is like right now? And, mm. you know, one thing I realized being in the activism space is I could I could spend all this time advocating and telling people to, you know, say her name or say his name. And, mm-hmm. But if I cannot say my own name, wow. then what, you know, what impact am I having? How am I living that out if I can't speak up for myself? Yeah, no, that's powerful. Speaking of. Your name is a little unusual. Is there a story behind your faith with two T's, Brooks? Yeah, there, um, you know, I don't think there's like a, it's not a really big story. Sometimes I tell people I wish I could make up a story so that way it would would sound way cooler. Um, But no, there's no profound story. My mom um, actually planned to name me after her Uh um, and her name is Francine. So Uh I don't know, my brother's a junior, so I really don't know why my parents are just going to have like two juniors. But anyways, Uh Uh um, she planned to name me Francine, but then- um, she almost died during childbirth oh, wow. and she decided to change my name and to name me faith because mm. she said it took faith to have you. Mm. And, um, and then she decided she wanted to put two T's because it was different and unique. And, um, and then she just named me faith two T's and she always gave me the option growing up to change it. If you want to change <laughs> it to one T, you can change it to whatever you want, you know, it to be. And, uh, I just said I liked it. I like it. It's different. There's nobody else that, whose name is spelled like that. And um, I kept it. I love that. I love that. Particularly, it's this like claiming of the faith that was needed, right? Yeah. To bring into, into the world. Um, now, you, you've talked about the dynamic of um, how so many people do rely on uh, the wisdom, the action, the leadership of Black women, and yet how that isn't really quite valued or brought to the fore uh, in, in a way that is commensurate with the impact or the value of of what Black women bring. Particular, can you, do you have any comment about that? uh, How you see that either um, exacerbated or uh, just exactly the same in kind of Christian or faith settings? Are there unusual dynamics that you see that get introduced um, into that same dynamic uh, when we enter into kind of these faith communities or these Christian activist spaces? Yeah, I think that you know, I'll speak for some of my own experience, mostly in evangelical faith spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, 
as a black woman, I really did feel like I had to be a portion of myself Hmm. and it was hard Mm -hmm. to be my whole self because you know, it it can be great that you're, you know, charismatic and kind and you, you know, you're a great speaker. But at the same time, when you're talking about injustice and you're talking about inequality and you're talking about racism, those are not necessarily celebrated topics um, in in those spaces. And so um, it's, as a black woman, it's definitely something that has felt hard to show up as my full self. And I'm not the only black woman that has felt that way in these mm-hmm. spaces. And so mm-hmm. I think when you know that your very existence is um, is kind of like a, you know, not the most positive talking point if you get mm-hmm. outside of the normal, like, let's, you know, pray and hope for God and unity in the world and whatever. If mm-hmm. we're if we're getting broader and and we're talking about let's talk about the systemic issues. Let's mm-hmm. talk about our education system. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, you know, all of these issues um that really go back to how our, our communities are governed and led, then you lose people. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the the tone um and the way you're interacted with shifts as well. And so yeah. I think, you know, I I've always kind of known those um, guardrails, if you will, are are present, and it's just harder to show up with ease. Yeah. So when so you felt like a certain amount of permission to show up in a certain way, but then sure. if you press against that, that's where you felt like, oh, there is dissonance that is coming, yes, and yet you felt sure. it within, within your own, own self. So then, can you tell me a bit about what was your journey to not, I guess, uh, sort of stay within the lines that you were given, but instead to sort of occupy a fullness of space that God had kind of created for you. What what switched for you to 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 make that happen? I think I really just had to come to like a personal understanding and, and knowledge that I was not A, I wasn't gonna fit in with everybody that <laughs> I was interacting with. And I uh-huh. just had to be okay with that. Yeah. And then B, I had to ask myself, what kind of impact do I want to have in this world? What matters uh-huh. to me? What do I feel like God has called me to do? Uh-huh. And for me, um, advocating and addressing injustice just really feels like a life calling and a part of my life work. Mm-hmm. Um, truly uplifting Black women. Those things are very, very important to me. And so I just had to let go of, you know, um, any sense of where I just didn't think that I could show up as my full self Mm -hmm. and I had to show up um, fully in these spaces. And honestly, it it meant that, you know, maybe I didn't get invited to certain places or considered for certain things. And I just let myself be okay with that because I want it to be true to myself, to who I feel like God has called me to be. And Wherever you feel like God is calling you to, there will mm-hmm. be a space for you to show up fully. I believe mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. I just really had to trust that God had that space for me. And that if I didn't know where it was uh, right away, eventually, uh-huh. I would find it and you know and experience it and find the right community. There was one quote that really uh, resonated with me, and I think probably with a lot of people uh, in your book, about your experience and the difference that you have between your relationship with Jesus and with church people. Do you mind reading that for us? Sure. It says, Jesus has been real to me since I was a little girl. One thing I always felt sure of. Church people? 
I could take them or leave them. But Jesus and I stayed close even in the seasons when I was angry or didn't know what to pray. This one thing, my connection to the divine, I didn't let church hurt take from me. After all, my living example of faith, my mother, had taught me that church attendance and involvement were separate from my relationship with God. God mothered me when church hurt me. You know, I think that there's something powerful in that statement. I, uh, you're talking about it in the specific context, but I think that that's a dynamic a lot of people can relate to. Can you share a little bit about your journey to separate that or to sort of, um, I guess, keep pushing through in your faith journey? Uh, because I think that's a courageous choice to have made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I went to a, I went to a private Christian school and um, for college and I was in predominantly Christian environments my entire upbringing. And at the school, we had to go to chapel every day and um, sign out to, you know, to say that we went to church on Sunday. And so this journey for me began after I graduated from college when I was 21 years old. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's been, um, you know, a a long time, (laughs) a long journey for me Um, because I've been out of college over 10 years now. But it's it's been a long time of me really processing what my faith in God looks like and um, and really working to separate my my church attendance from my faith with God, because for the longest time, through the ways that I just you know explained, it felt like I I had to kind of tally and I had to keep track and and these were things that were going to make me a good Christian. These were mm, things that were going to mm-hmm. make me um, in right standing with God. Or um, if I wasn't doing going to church, then I I was you know, wayward or wandering, I had lost my way because that's kind of the environments that I was around in these evangelical spaces. And that's kind of the message that I received. And so I really had to year by year begin to ask myself hard questions and free myself. And I had to, you know, think to myself, if I had to pick you know, what I wanted to have, like as a a healthy relationship, what would I want that to look like with God? Do I want it to be something that's based off of obligation or do I want it to be something that's genuine and real? Do I want to ask God questions? Do I want to give my self to be uh, space to be mad sometimes? Like, what do I want that to look like? And ultimately I chose, I wanted something that was real and authentic and I explored it and I just, and I continue to explore it because it's really important to me. And it was more important to me to cultivate my relationship with God than it was to keep up with the rat race of sort or feeling like I'm checking off, you know, these boxes. Yeah, totally. These, these little uh, things that signal Christian faithfulness, whether or not they actually truly are the fruit of, right. Um, You mentioned in your book that one of the key turning points for you um, was a trip that you took to Rwanda. And you talk about the, that experience of uh, displacement and about it being the best worst trip. Can you say more about that trip and then how it affected you? Yeah, I think that trip was um, it was the best trip for me because I was able to see myself in the Rwandan people. It was my mm. first time being on the continent of Africa, and it it was beautiful and it felt. Um, empowering and I felt seen and 
I just saw things that people were doing and I was like, wait, I see that in our culture. And it just, it just, it felt like, um, I didn't know that I had such a deep longing to really know where I come from. Mm. I knew that I did, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't Mm -hmm. until I was there that it was like this thing that felt, you know, so far away, it feels close. And now I just wonder like, which country is it? Like where, you know, where are my ancestors from? So it was beautiful for me in that way, because I was able to really um, see myself and be in a place where everybody looked like me. And I had never, you know, um, been in a country where, you know, everyone looked like me. And so that was really special. It was hard because I was experiencing, you know, racism and, and teammates who were, you know, saying a lot of rude things and, Mm. um, saying, you know, derogatory jokes. And so this is your American teammates. My American teammates. Who had journeyed with you to Rwanda. And and that's where you're experiencing the racism. Exactly. That's uh-huh. where I was experiencing the racism because at, you know, my school, we had done these mission trips. And so this is essentially kind of like a mission trip. And um, we were working with some local churches and missionaries in the Rwanda area. And it was only myself and our team leader and her son that were African-American. Everybody else um, on the trip were white folks. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. It was already, you know, I'm having this like out of body experience, like, oh my goodness, I'm seeing all these black people everywhere. But then, you know, my um, environment with my teammates, I was only, you know, one out of three, um, you know, black people on the trip. And so it was just a different dynamic, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um, two of my teammates that um, were white folks. We're still good friends to this day. They stuck up for me and they were pushing back when the other team members would make, you know, comments and remarks that were just rude and mean. And, um, it was, I was so blessed by their presence because I did not have the words and, you know, um, the wherewithal at the moment to really defend myself Hmm. and they Mm -hmm. stuck up for me. Yeah. But that trip really showed me, okay, there are some big issues that, you know, we need to address at this school, but not only in the school, in the church, because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is how, you know, we're being treated. And I realized that a lot of the perceptions that people have about black people were from TV. You know, a lot of these people didn't, you know, that I was around, they didn't really have black friends. Like, they they had a lot of they made a lot of assumptions and i realized okay like this is this is different than what i've you know dealt with in some other settings and i really had to know that um now it's time for me to really find my voice mm. and that's what i spent time after that trip doing when i got home and mm. being able to find ways to express myself and mm-hmm. you know just yeah speak up for myself no i think it's beautiful i think it's beautiful one of the things that i love about the format of the book is that you have these letters uh these letters that are um written and and i've sort of it it reminded me of that kind of exercise of like, oh, what's the letter that you would write to, you know, yourself at a different stage? But um, I mean, even just looking at the list of of the letters, right? It's a letter to the suburban black girl, a letter to my sister in college trying to find her way, a letter to my sister who has questions. Um, what prompted that? And what, how was that experience for you of writing these letters, uh, uh, these love letters uh, to these different black women? 
I love writing letters. I've always felt like I'm way better at writing letters than oh, I am. Oh, you're a letter writer. Like that's kind yeah. of part of your personality and how you yeah. show it. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm better at writing letters sometimes than I am like having to um, verbally like give this, you know, long explanations. I'm like, oh, uh-huh. just let me write it. Let me write it out. It'll be really good, you know. <laughs> and so um, – I've just always come to love letters and I, I had a blog called Lyrics and Letters years ago. Okay. And um I've just always felt such a, you know, deep love for writing because I felt like if I can write a letter, I can really express myself. I can sit with the words and, you know, I can make sure that, you know, whoever is reading it on the other side understands exactly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> In all this time, you know. Yes. Yeah. And so uh I wanted to write love letters to my sisters because I just felt like a letter is just such a beautiful and generous way to be able to say, like, I see you and I'm thinking mm. of you and I've mm-hmm. been where you are. And, you know, I want you to know that there is hope on the other side of this pain or mm-hmm. I, like you, wish I would have done X, Y, and Z differently, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted the letters to just be a place where I could write a sense of, um, yeah, just some encouragement to the reader and hopefully to be able to connect with um, anybody who read the book. Mm. And then, and did the letters turn out or the experience of writing the letters, did that turn out how you thought it would be? Yeah, I think it did. You yeah. know, it was, it was really special. Sometimes I had different people in mind okay. as I wrote letters. Yeah. Um, for um, the letter to the suburban black girl, I had my niece in mind when I wrote the letter She's young. She's three. Um, she actually might be four now. Yeah, she's four. Um, and she is just so vibrant. She's full of life and she's such a leader. And our personalities are very similar. I see so much of myself in her. And um, I I wanted her to know and other people and their little girls to know that you don't have to, um, you know, dim your light. You don't have to stop shining. And that kind of thread was throughout all of the letters. It's They came from different conversations, different people, um, different, you know, friends, other Black women that we've had conversations about life. And, you know, I wanted to write to them because I just spent so much time sometimes feeling like I wasn't seen or understood. And I was hoping that the letters would connect with people and, and make them feel seen. Faith Brooks, author, podcast host, and activist, thank you so much for joining us today on 20 Minute Takes. Thank you for having me. Twenty Minute Takes is a production of Christians for Social Action. We're produced and edited by David DeLeon. I'm your host, Nikki Toyamasito, and the music is done by Andre Henry. You can find us on the web at christiansforsocialaction.org. Give us five stars, write a review, and share about the podcast with your friends. 